Welcome to everyone in our JKL community. I'm your host, Justin, AKA Just Tries, and we're always talking vulnerability, learning, and growth mindset. Our mission at Just Keep Learning is to help you be lifelong learners and achieve your own goals. So help us get the word out if you know anyone who could benefit from the show. Our guest today has started 18 businesses and clearly is a lifelong learner. He doesn't make excuses and has built opportunities over the years with the attitude where there is a will, there's a way. Growing up in a household with a single mom, moving schools a lot, and having to get started paying bills young, he's leveraged all of that into his character. Building from one opportunity to the next, he went from a window cleaning business at 15 to rental businesses and eventually building tech companies. We chat about how to get clarity over your ideas and why entrepreneurship is the best lifestyle for many of us. We also learn about his latest venture, Bunking, which is a marketplace for shared living of like-minded people. Please welcome Steve Cody. Yeah, so if I brought you into a college classroom in business and entrepreneurship, if you were to introduce yourself, what would you say? Well, I literally did that with a class from Algonquin College yesterday. <laughs> so it's funny you ask. So I'm an, an entrepreneur, started at a young age, grew up with a single mom, lived all over the city. My grandfather had saved $1,200 for me, thought I was going to go to university with that money. And by grade 10, uh, I was very dyslexic, knew that school wasn't for me, and uh, asked him if I could take out that $1,200 to start a window cleaning company. You know, basically bought a, a ladder, squeegee in a bucket, started walking down streets. And uh, that's what started my entrepreneurial journey. And uh, we've built and sold I think 17 different businesses to date. So, you know, for a whole bunch of reasons, and hopefully we have an opportunity to talk about some of those reasons today. I'm sure we will. It's always neat speaking to the serial entrepreneurs, because one thing I realize is that there's a lot of things in common between them, but 17, I don't think I've seen that number. I think I've had people on with eight and nine. What do you think it is about business that keeps you wanting to create another one? It's not like there's a grand plan. I just kind of find these problems in my life, you know, starting bunking. I just kind of, it's solving, well, a problem for my two kids. They wanted to go to Tofino and uh, it was just too expensive. They wanted to go there to work and live and play. You know, started Ruckify because I needed a chainsaw and, uh, you know, figured a neighbor had one, but I had no way of knowing it. You know, started Cody Mobile Auto Detailing because my wife was always mad at me because the car was dirty. I never really had time to bring it in to get it detailed. So I thought, why not create like an auto detail company where they come to your house and clean your car, right? So yeah, so that I think everyone has has kind of its own purpose, and it's really just more about solving my own problems. And I think I think an entrepreneur is a lot like an artist at heart. I'm not an artist, but you know, I can imagine that they love painting pictures and they get right into it you know they have a vision and they and they want to see it through and i think an entrepreneur is a lot like that so we get this vision we get excited and we want to see it through and that's really what i've what i've been doing my entire career well like you said i'm sure we will talk a lot about the specifics around those different businesses and tips and tricks. Before we do, in terms of going into that first business where you took out the $1,200 to do it, what do you think it was in you that allowed you to do that or wanting to do that? Did you learn from someone else or were you inspired by someone, a mentor? What made you take that leap where others might have just wanted the $1,200 to go spend it? 
You know what? Like I've thought about it. It's a good, really good question. And I think, so my mother cleaned houses for a living. So we lived in all the projects in Ottawa, a lot of the tough areas. And we moved around and I'd have to go to work with her when I was, you know, before I went to school or even after I started going to school. I, I never really knew somebody that had a job. Like we had a pretty rough upbringing. So people really didn't have jobs. She went, cleaned somebody's house and there was money or a check or something sitting on the table when the job was done. You kind of got paid right away for your work. So I don't even think I had a sense of working for somebody else for like 40 hours and then waiting a week or even two weeks to actually get a paycheck. Kind of never occurred to me. The other thing is, is like, I think it was I was 15 when my mom said, like, either start paying rent or get out. <laughs> you know, I had to make money, right? And it, like, she, I mean, she's a great person. She's an amazing person, but she just like, she just like, you, you got to stand on your own two feet. Yeah. That's a fascinating part of parenting that I find figuring out that balance between enabling or allowing people to have everything and not having to figure it on their own versus some with, for the lack of a better term, but like rough upbringing where people then figure it out and it becomes a strength. And that's always been interesting to me. I think another good example. So we didn't have a lot of money, but my mother always had a dream of having a cottage. And she, I remember she found an ad in the Penny Saver. So we used to get a newspaper called the Penny Saver saver and there were ads and she found this cottage property for sale and it was five thousand dollars she had been saving and i was 15 at the time so we were able to buy the, the cottage property it was up in in bouchette quebec and she told me that i'd be the one to build a cottage and uh, we didn't have a lot of money so i would have to get things from the scrapyard and you know go to go to a local farmer see if they were cutting lumber and kind of build it that way you know 15 years old i'd literally literally and i, I knew nothing about building like a house or construction so I would go around construction sites and see how the walls were put together, see the studs, you know, see, well, they're like 16 inches apart and, you know, kind of just figure out all these things. And I literally built what I think was an awesome three bedroom cottage when I was 15 years old. That's a pretty special story to have. I didn't know any better. So I've, I've always been careful with my kids in terms of I don't try to help them. Like if, you know, if they're going to build a fort or they're going to do something, like I, I purposely don't help them. Like I let them fall. You know, it's hard though as a parent, there's no question. Well, and I see this a lot to bring it back to, you know, single mom growing up trying to raise kids. And a lot of times they may be a teen mom. In my personal case, my oldest daughter is adopted from a teen mom who wasn't able to see parenting her through. And knowing a lot about that sort of world where I've taught probably a couple hundred students who struggled through that experience themselves. A lot of people have quickly jumped to conclusion, not knowing someone who's a teen mom parenting on their own, just making assumptions that all oh, those poor kids and I am sticking up for them saying in many ways, this is going to provide them strengths that somebody else couldn't just kind of fake or mimic. You have to actually go through that. So I think it speaks for itself versus it being a question. But was there anything else about that? Do you think that you lean on as far as it being of benefit? Maybe that whole cottage thing and window cleaning company. I had no idea I was scared of heights. That was my first big problem. Try starting a window cleaning company and being scared of heights. You know, that teaches you how to work through problems. So I had to solve it by hiring people. 
I mean, I'm just young and I'm hiring 40 year olds, you know, first time hiring anybody. So again, you're kind of put in this tough situation where you kind of really have to make it work. But you know, when you look back, man, do you ever learn a lot from that? Right. So, and I think I take a lot of that now. And when we build companies, as I was literally just talking to my daughter about it yesterday, where I can look back, like, you know, we've hired, I don't know, like literally thousands of people, I think in my career, but the ones I've really enjoyed hiring are just people that have a sparkle in their eye and you just know that they can do more than probably they even think is possible. And it's so cool to watch them kind of grow in their career. And just that's a position I was put in. I didn't, I think I ended up, had I thought about it, there's no way I'm building a cottage. Like there's no way am I starting a window cleaning company. I'm scared of heights. One of my biggest, what I feel are accomplishments is, is really finding diamonds in the rough, whether they stay with us or they move on and they do something else. Awesome. And there's lots of stories about people we've done that with. A lot of this ties into upbringing. You mentioned your daughter and obviously raising kids. When it came to school, what was the school experience like for you when it came to learning? Were you the one that wanted to bust out of there to go be an entrepreneur and artist or was school something you enjoyed? I don't know. I probably by grade 10, I guess I probably went to, I'd say 10 or 11 different schools. So I was never at a school very long. I mean, you're not really making friends, so I wouldn't call it an enjoyable experience. Had no clue what dyslexia was. Now I know that I'm quite dyslexic. You know, that didn't help. I did really well when I when I applied myself, but it wasn't very often. And because of the way I grew up, I mean, I ended up on the bad side of the tracks myself and got expelled and did, did all that stuff as well. So I, was, I wouldn't call it a great experience. And now when I people ask about school, do they need to go to school and stuff? Like, I think going to school and getting university degree or a college degree, I think it, it definitely has its place. Like if you don't know what you want to do, the more educated you are, I think the more options you have. It can definitely, like I just took a course last week just to become a, a mortgage broker. I don't want to actually be a mortgage broker, but I'm starting a real estate company where we buy real estate in destination locations. So if I take the training, I become a broker. Now I have access to that network. I have access to the lenders, right? So I can kind of leverage that. So there's a lot of different ways to learn but I think it gives you options. And I think that's one of the big questions right now. You mentioned the other side of the tracks, and I know that a at least former colleague or still colleague of yours, Paul, was in the recent uh, newspaper article talking about youth that are in custody and struggling with crime on the rise. And to me, where I always go to is, what are some solutions that we can do to help people learn or get opportunities to become entrepreneurs and things like that, programming or finding different ways for youth to learn? So do you have any ideas ideas when it comes to that, that we could try and do a little better of or anything like that? If I look at myself and the way I was brought up, you don't even know good from bad, right? So if you see like, if you grow up in an environment where people are doing needles, maybe people get murdered, just a lot of bad things happening, you, you literally, you can't blame the kids because they don't even know the difference. Like they've never been introduced to the difference. So it's it's wrong to, to hold the kids too accountable for that. I think if you want to change it, you kind of have to go to where the kids are because the kids aren't going to find you because they don't even know that that opportunity, like they, they, they literally can't even comprehend it. You have to go to where the kids are and try to engage them on their level and show them how it can help them. And I think real life examples are probably a lot more relatable than, you know, we're not going to get some of these kids into university or into a college, but there's 
there's a lot of things, that, especially with the internet now, like there's just, there's a lot of things that people can do. They just need to be shown the way, right? So you need to show them how to fish. We don't need to do the fishing, just show them how to fish. The good thing is a lot of these kids have to grow up to be survivors. They have to grow up to be hustlers. Uh, like they've got so much in them that if they're just given a little bit and just shown the right way, man, they can turn that on its head and they can do phenomenal things. So we're not far. I don't think we're far with a lot of kids. Like I think it's actually really close, but we have to get into their environments, I think, and be proactive on that basis. Paul's done. You talk about Paul Howard. I was building a company called Better Software and uh, we were looking for a, a, a head of business development and Paul applied and he came in to meet me. And I remember we sat down and uh, kind of gave him this spiel about on how much he wanted to make and you know all this. I said, well, you know, this is a startup. Like I can't hire you, like forget about it. But we got talking about kids and we got talking about like our backgrounds and that turned into probably like an, an hour and a half not even an interview now it's just a conversation he ended up calling me back a couple of days later and he's like i'll work for however much you can afford to pay me just we need to work together we've had a good time since well and that definitely speaks to the skill sets of networking and doing things because they're sort of the right thing to do you know when it comes to the idea of helping youth and like you said reaching them where they're at that's one of my biggest concerns i suppose is a word when it comes to this podcast is finding ways to get it to them because i know that they love mp3 they love learning through audio and a lot of them can't access youtube but they could listen to stories and things like this but again unless they know they're not going to do it and that's a lot of the case with vocational schools, college, universities, even a YouTube channel that teaches you how to start a hip hop business, but then charges you $200 for the course is not where these kids are going to be able to access. And so that's one of the things that I've struggled with a lot, I guess, to try and figure that part out. But there are companies like Amazon, Shopify, all these different business models popping up that doesn't need to be very capital intensive. So maybe we could so-called uh, teach them to fish a little bit, like you were saying, and uh, talk through some of those things. So youth that I work with right now, if they are serving a murder charge, it would be five, six years, maybe seven. They're getting out. In that time, they could start planning all those transferable skills you mentioned, you know, being able to hustle and grind it out and network for sure and all these kinds of things will help. But what are the pragmatic steps, I guess, for that person sitting there listening to this, wondering how to start a business? Probably the same as anybody else. Like you kind of maybe want to start by defining what do you want out of it is probably one of the most important things. Like, and trying to be realistic with your first business. Like, think about window washing. Like, that's a pretty easy business, right? You literally need a bucket, a squeegee. You don't even need a ladder. Like, you can just do ground floor if you need to. So there's technology might be too much of a barrier. Like you said, like maybe you don't have a credit card. Maybe you can't, you know, maybe there's those things you can't do. But there's, you know, you can cut people's grass. You can maybe do hedge trimming. So you can, there's a lot of things that you can start doing. And I always knew when I started cleaning windows, like always, to me, I always knew that wasn't going to be it. Like my goal was actually to build buildings, believe it or not. And I figured if I can clean windows and if I can start doing commercial buildings, I'll get to understand buildings. Like that was a path to building buildings. You know, now I'm 53 years old and we're building bunking ventures. So we're now I'm kind of getting around to building buildings, <laughs> which is, you know, it's taken that long, but I think you, you want to be, 
realistic. And I think some people want too much too fast. And it doesn't matter where you come from. For a lot of people, that's not realistic. Like you've got to get super lucky. If you think about Sam Walton, the guy who built Walmart, and you hear, listen to his story, like this is like, he had no money. He hustled. Like, man, he'd go take his car. He'd drive for hours to get deals on clothes, bring them back to the store. But you know what? He didn't open his second store until he was in business for 11 years. It took 11 years to open his second store. So, and there's a lot of stories like that. It takes you like three years to be good at something, five years to be really good, and 10 years to be amazing. So whatever you're thinking, if you're doing time and you're in there for five or six years, like hopefully you can take the time to learn. Le learning is just going to give you tools and it's going to create options for you. But it doesn't mean when you get out, you're going to be starting at the top. Whatever it takes, like just go out and make a couple of bucks and you're not just making money, you're building your confidence and you're learning. Like when I did the window cleaning, I learned how to deal with the employees were tough. Like we had about 40 window washers working for us and we knew like if we paid on Friday, if we paid people in the morning, nobody's cleaning windows on Friday. So, you know, we had to deliver the paychecks like end of day. So we got a full day out of everybody, but you had to meet everybody where they were at. Like that's, you know, then work with them and it's no different today. So you can think about your first business, two businesses. Think about that as maybe that's your college, that's your university, like you're learning. That's the way I'd look at it. Take steps. One of the reasons why I ask is because, well, two reasons, I guess. One being a lot of youth for sure. Myself, I've been there. So many people do want to build that big thing at the beginning because that's what they can see is Walmart and they can see Bunking or they can see Rockify. That's what's visually public and you can see on Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever, right? You can see these things, but you don't see what's beneath the surface of the people who built those and how they got there, the whole journey, you know? Big time. Yeah. And all the hard work and it is not a clear line. Like there's a lot of tough things that need to happen to get to wherever you're going. And the more you want, I think the tougher it's going to be. It's all relative though. Well, that's just it. And the other reason was that a lot of the youth I've met over the years, as much as you'd like to say the first step should maybe be going and getting a job, because we're competing with the worlds of human trafficking and drug dealing and all these different call it opportunities that are quite lucrative, it gives them the skills that they need, but they're pretty bad at going and having a boss. And I'm generalizing, but in many cases, they're going to succeed in creative pursuits, entrepreneurship, etc. And that's one of the things that I feel like if we can create more and more blueprints that help them learn these things, and that's exactly it, maybe starting small being one of those it's big a points. Gift, not wanting a boss. Nothing wrong with going to work with somebody, but if you're somebody that is not comfortable and you have independence and then you overlay a bit of hustle, some good work ethic, appreciation for making money at the end of the job, those are all gifts. Right. So, you know, somebody who's been spoon fed with a silver spoon all their life, like they don't have that. They don't even get joy out of the things that we might get joy out of. And it's the scalability factor too. I think you look at a kid who wants to start a street clothing brand or create their own music. They're willing to work for free for 11 years to finally have that thing pop because they're actually loving it intrinsically or it's cool to them versus they can't go work 11 hours at a restaurant with someone telling them what to do. And so that's that's an interesting part. Loving what you do is a huge part of it, right? If you're going to get up and you're not, I mean, so I could not have a job. When we sold our equipment rental business, we sold to Hertz, which was owned by Ford Motor Company then. And I signed a two-year employment contract with them. And man, I can remember like my first 
day, like being an employee, I came home and I was like, oh man, and they were paying me well. Anyways, I lasted about two months and I wrote them. I said like, you guys are great. Everybody's great. This just is not for me. Anyways, I ended up leaving a, a really well-paying job. It's the first time I think my wife was kind of mad at me. But anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Ever? <laughs> well, so what is it though, to dig a little bit, what is it that you didn't like? And not that you're going to start slamming this business and bosses, et cetera, but what is that that you say you couldn't have a boss or, or be an employee? I don't know. I just, I didn't have that creative ability. Like you couldn't sit there and just think about things and try things, or you kind of didn't know everything that was happening. You know, like you're a spoke in the wheel. What impact am I having here? Like, I don't know. Like it, it had nothing to do with the, like the company, the opportunity. Maybe if I was a much smarter man, I would have stayed with it. You know, who knows? But I mean, there's politics I wasn't used to between people. If you're the owner or the entrepreneur, the founder, you're typically not involved in politics. So that kind of shocked me because that seemed like a massive waste of time and energy. So just like a mixture of like and I tried because I mean the reality is I'd made a two-year commitment to stay with the company but I there was no way like I would have had I, I felt like a negative contribution to the company Hertz was the largest equipment rental company in the world at the time and after they bought us like our our location uh, was the best location on a per capita basis in North America so they actually did quite well with it I think that's what it is for me when it comes to entrepreneurship and wanting to do my own things too, that so many people can't relate to. And I think that they often feel that it's like ego or pride driven to want to be able to put it in your bio that you're a founder or an entrepreneur. And I'm constantly trying to explain what that is. And maybe you hit the nail on the head there with the ability to create. Yeah, and it goes back to the artist analogy in a way, right? Yeah. And you said that you're not a painter. I laughed because that's one of my biggest hobbies is uh, I love painting and people will ask me all the time, especially with the rise in the NFT space and this digital art space and all this kind of stuff that's going on. They'll ask, oh, are you a painter? Because they see little snippets here and there on social media or hear from someone else. And I'm like, I guess so. But I'm like, I don't know what box to put myself in yet. I just liked creating. I like the freedom to create. Very cool. Nice. So I'd be interested in knowing how well or like taking a little bit of a stab at going through the journey. So you started the window cleaning and then do you know them off by heart to go right through? Pretty much. So you're doing window cleaning and you start doing these commercial buildings. So you need to rent swing stages. So they're the machines that come down the side of buildings, you know, that the guys stand on to clean the windows. So we started renting those from somebody else. And I did that a few times and I'm like, well, I'm giving this person like 800 bucks a month for this machine. Maybe I should go out and buy some myself and I'll rent them out. It just, it didn't make sense to be giving my money away. That's what we did. So that got us into the swing stage rental business, which, which was a really good business. And then as we're doing that, then you got to get scaffolding, you know, protect people. We bought a bit of scaffolding, doing a couple of little scaffolding jobs. And then the Aberdeen Pavilion, the cattle castle down at TD Place, they were restoring it. It was, it was like the biggest project in Ottawa at the time. And somebody uh, on the team said, we should bid on the scaffolding. Really, we didn't own any scaffolding. We didn't really know anything about scaffolding. So we bid on the scaffolding and we actually got the scaffolding job. So, which was crazy because like, we're like, holy smokes, like, what do we do now? And it was a pretty complicated job. We didn't have the money to go out and buy all the scaffolding. So we had to go to our competitors and we had to sub-rent the scaffolding. So, you know, so at least we were able to make a margin and that that's what kind of got us into the scaffolding business. And then as we were building the scaffolding business, we started to see like these booms and scissor lifts. So scissor lifts, 
like they're machines with platforms that go up and down about kind of a maximum of 50 feet. The booms have the big arms that go up and we started to see those around the city and uh, we started, people would ask us, so we would go sub-rent it. So we would go to somebody, we would rent it from them and then re-rent it to the customer. And we did that enough times where we said, well, we should get into that business. We did really, really well with that. I think we grew it to like $6 million in two years. Then somebody approached us, there was a Bobcat dealership that was going out of business. Did we want to be partners in it? So we took over a Bobcat dealership, Little Tractors. That was a really cool, fun business to be in. My goal was always to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. We had sold the window cleaning company to buy a building for the scaffolding company. Anyway, you know, we'd sell things to be able to do things. And and anyways, I had this goal of wanting to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. So Hertz had approached us to buy us. So uh, not Hertz, it was the car rental company or division of at the time, but it was Hertz Equipment Rentals, which was owned by Ford Motor Company. We actually became partners with them and then we ended up agreeing to sell and uh, just happened to be literally on my 30th birthday. I was in New York signing the paperwork to sell the company, which, you know, which turned into it was for for many millions anyways that's that worked out pretty well then i kind of had nothing to do so it took a year a year off we had uh, our last daughter and i had worked really hard i mean we were open from 6 a.m till 6 p.m and i mean that, that was a hard run and i was 30 years old so i wanted to get to know my kids and my wife a little bit so i did that and when i was doing that my mom was getting married and uh, needed to rent some tables and chairs and went and did that and I really didn't like the experience so I said you know what I think I can do that better Uh, so I went to Toronto and Montreal and kind of went in the back door of different party rental companies and started Cody party rentals at the time then we grew a linen rental business a tent rental business on top of it early days of the party rentals like we would rent costumes for Halloween mostly and I can remember I don't know, it was probably 2010, driving down Carling Avenue. It was the old Canadian Tire, and I see this sign, Spirit Halloween. And uh, it's the first time Spirit Halloween. It's owned by Spencer Gifts. They do these, about a thousand temporary Halloween stores. It's the first time into Canada. They open up September, October. And uh, man, there was a lot of commotion. So we had the five kids in the car. So I said, like, let's go check it out. So we went in there, and there's all these noises, all these people. And it was like, oh, this is awesome. Anyway, so I left there, and I said, we're getting in the Halloween business. So we started Monster Halloween, grew like the 26 locations across Canada. So we had Cody Party at the time. Uh, we had 11 franchise locations across Canada. We had Monster Halloween, 26 locations. Then I had the situation where my wife was always getting mad about the car not being clean. So I started Cody Mobile, which is a mobile auto detailing business. Really good business. We started franchising. It worked really well. And then my uh, son, Nick, passed away in 2013 from a drug overdose. That really put me in bed for about nine months. Couldn't get out of bed, only like to have a hot bath or to go for a long walk. So we sold, we had to sell all of our companies. And it was always a really tough time. By August of 2014, I was better. And uh, all we really had left at that point, we, I mean, we lost a lot. So when you're an entrepreneur, you have a lot of balls in the air and the balls start falling. So then now we owe a lot of money and people are like, oh, you should go bankrupt and start over. And I'm like, no, there's no way I'm doing that. But we had built this software to run our businesses. Like I knew nothing about software. I just needed, I just knew we needed a better way to run our businesses. So I hired this guy, John, to build the software. And he had done that for about four or five years to run our different businesses. So by August, 2014, we still had this software. We didn't have, you know, we, we didn't have the companies anymore, but we 
we still had this software. So I said to my family, I said, I think we're going to get in the software business. And they're like, there's no way. Like, you know nothing about it. Like, can't even operate your, your phone. Like, how the hell is that going to work? My wife saw a thing on Twitter where there was what they call as an accelerator program. So they were doing this program out in Canada. This Terry Matthews was putting it on. You would apply. And if you got into it, you went into this nine-month program. And they would literally show you how to build a tech company. Didn't cost you anything. And I thought, oh, my God. Like, this is exactly what I need. So they had over 300 companies apply. So you applied to this program. Their idea was they would select 20. 20 would present to these investors and all of these people to what were the best ideas. And they would select as many as 10 to get into the program. Anyways, I applied to the program because I definitely need this program. Two days before the companies are going to be doing the pitches, these 20 companies, I get an email. It was at night from uh, the director there. And he says, you know, thank you for your application. Sorry to inform you that you didn't make it in, but try again next time. His name was Marco. So I emailed him back. I said, no, I think you made a mistake, Marco. Can I come and see it tomorrow? He said, okay. And uh, so I, anyways, I went out to Canada, got out of my car. You know, you just kind of check your messages before you're going in for a meeting, seeing what's up. And I got another email from Marco. Marco had actually canceled the meeting. Something He had something else he had to do. And I'm like, well, this is a big problem. Like I got to get in this program. They're pitching for this tomorrow. I went on LinkedIn and I looked up Marco's picture and I went around the building looking for Marco. Finally found him and uh, I said, hey, Marco, this is like, I'm Steve. <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, can we talk? So anyways, we sat down and said, oh, I think we had a cancellation. I think we can get you in. I said, great. I said, so like, what do we need to do? We said, oh, you got to prepare this PowerPoint presentation and then you got to present all these you know, there's going to be about 40 people in the room. And I said, well, I got a couple of problems. He's like, well, what are the problems? I said, I have no idea how to put a PowerPoint presentation together. I don't know how to do that, Marco. And I said, I've never presented to anybody in my life. So how can we kind of get around that? And he said, well, we'll get you a mentor and we'll make sure you're the last one to present. And we did that practice with the, the guy and he made the presentation and I presented to that room. And uh, first thing I told him, I said, I know nothing about technology, but I can sell. So I was very honest with the whole room right off the bat, but apparently that's kind of what sold them. Came home, had some Chinese food with the family and in the middle of eating Chinese food, my phone rang. I picked it up and uh, they said, congratulations, you're in. There were only two companies selected out of over 300 and we were one of the two. That was that was really my journey, my start of being in technology. And then it's like, oh, you got to raise all this money. And it's like, oh man, I got to ask strangers for money and did that. And we raised, I think it was about $9.8 million building better software. We brought in some venture capitalists and I I didn't like them. They kind of tell you what to do because they give you money and they don't care about the employees. And they don't care about the customers. They just care about the valuation of the uh, business. So anyway, so I, I, I didn't like it and uh, I felt I was kind of wasting my time. And so I left, left the company that night. My wife and I went out for dinner and made the decision that we're going to start Rockify, a rent anything marketplace with the goal of being the largest in the world. Started that and uh, ended up actually buying better software back from the venture capitalists. I knew the company had to go public because we were changing consumer behavior. Whenever you go public with a company, it's like a marketing event almost. I brought a partner on that I felt could help take the company public. Worked with the partner for a couple of years. You know, had some moral things that I didn't want to, just personal things that I wasn't comfortable with. I just said, you know what, I think I'm going to leave and uh, we'll look for a new CEO. We still owned our shares and we, we had a great team. We had great momentum in the product. Everything was really good. By January, we really haven't found a CEO. I was just too uncomfortable. So I ended up leaving the company. Really didn't know what I wanted to do. I'd heard about Elon Musk and building, building Starlink. So he's putting all these satellites 
in the around the globe and you'll have the planet covered by 2025 and anybody in the world will have internet access so when i heard that like i'm like wow that's cool i mean that's going to change how we live and uh so i thought next business i do has to kind of ride in those coattails bunking it was my son and daughter wanted to go they wanted to go to a tofino which is like a surf town on the west coast of bc they were going to go there they were going to live for three months work surf play until they found out the airbnb was going to cost them six thousand dollars a month i said like rent the airbnb and then go like to craigslist or facebook marketplace rent out your couches rent out your extra rooms and you get enough people living with you might live for free but then my daughter's like well what about the axe murders and like how do people pay and anyways and then she was like we're gonna do this you know she was she's a tiktok influencer so she's like i want to live with other tiktokers my son is a product management developer so he's like i want to live with other software people because i don't have an office to go to so i kind of thought about that for a bit and i came back and i said i know how we can solve the problem so you guys can go to tofino it's like we're going to build a marketplace and it's going to be called bunking the way it's going to work you guys can go to airbnb you can rent that sucker for six thousand a month come back to bunking one of you becomes the organizer or the host so say it's my daughter she creates a bunking pod she says my pods for eight people and uh, the theme of my pod is collaboration for tiktokers the rules to get into my pod you can't have a criminal record maybe you need good credit got to be double vaxxed the characteristics of my pod might be we're all under 30 you know we go to bed around 2 a.m we're all messy we all like to surf on the weekends we all sleep in you know kind of doing all that in advance and then configuring i've got three couches you can rent those by the night for 25 bucks i got one room with three beds in it you know this is a charge per bed and so think about a dating app a hostel and airbnb we're kind of a mix of all three kind of a long-winded way of telling you that journey long-winded but amazing and to me it made me think of probably 10 more questions but i won't keep you for too much longer first off though out of respect for your son and just to kind of pay tribute in any some all way possible i think the legacy that you're living and all the things you're doing are pretty special and i know a lot of these topics we've talked about are things that if somebody were to listen to and be able to overcome addiction and, and fight that battle a bit become an entrepreneur this show can really help them a lot and all the things you're saying are definitely helpful so I trust that he's looking down proud of everything that you're doing. Thank you. When it comes to bunking, though, to stay there for a second, because I know that that's like the big thing right now to bring some clarity, because when we're so close to something, you can say things off the cuff and then people might be like, what exactly do you mean? So I'll ask some follow up questions with bunking specifically. Is it a long term thing in the sense of like she could post the stay is one year or is it more like always 24 hour changes? What does that look like? Totally up to the host. So I'll give you a good example. We hire a lot of uh, international students, software developers and stuff. So a lot of them come from India and these people are incredibly brave. So they come here on their own. They don't know the language. They don't know the culture. Maybe they're renting someplace on Kijiji and given a $500 deposit. So they don't even know if the place is going to be here when they show up. You know, so with bunking, they could literally look for a bunking pod with other Indian students, right? Or whatever, Chinese or whatever they're, you know, even if I'm going to university, I'm studying law. You know, and I want to find other roommates that are studying law. So they're like-minded, right? So maybe I'm a gamer, like maybe I'm a fanatic gamer and I do esports. 
Maybe I want to live with other gamers. Like, that'd be pretty cool. Maybe I want to do that for a week, maybe a month, maybe a year. Totally up to the host to configure their bunking pod in terms of how long it will be. And, and it, like, it can be, I want to travel across Canada, so I'm going to create a bunking pod of four to rent an RV, and we're going to go across Canada. Could be I'm going to rent a yacht. Could be I'm going to go live in an igloo. It's this platform to connect people, you know, because if you're with like-minded people, you're just, you're going to get a lot more value out of that. And then, you know, when you have rules that are kind of established ahead of times and then characteristics, which are really expectations, I think you have better outcomes at the end of the day. Yeah, I see it similar to like online dating meets rideshare, but solving a current problem that's not very well solved right now. And it also reminds me of I had one 21 years ago. I lived with six football players thinking back to the university days. Good or bad. Yeah, very good from let's call it June to December when you're being productive, maybe less good from January to May where you're being less productive. Uh, No, we we were pretty good. And uh, I think that that will really solve problems for a lot of people. Where are we at in terms of the development of the company? Can people sign up to be a host? Are you still testing things? Yeah, so it's in development right now. There's about 11 to 11, 12 developers working on it. We're doing right now, we're, we're literally in the middle of our first bunking beta. So it's up in Sandbanks near Kingston. So we rented a place on Airbnb, put nine strangers together. People could apply to go online. We had a, close to 100 people that applied. The theme is work from anywhere. People that have to continue working when they're there. We collected a bunch of data before it started. We're collecting a bunch of data during. You know, are people going to be interested? The fact that we had close to 100 applicants was a very positive sign. People were willing to share pretty personal data. That was a very good sign. You know, how do people get along? And just all these different things. How much value is is in it for them? Yeah. Uh, we may do another one before our launch of our product. But when we launch, it's, it's a slow launch. It's not a like, it's not like a big grand opening in technology, a launch it, but you want to learn. You're not going to nail it on the first pass. So we need to learn, make corrections, and then we can really start scaling it. As soon as I saw it, I wanted to do it, thought of different reasons why I would do it and where I would go and who I would post to join me, etc. I think in the content creation space, it's just massive. Um, Yeah, to give you a quick personal story, I love filmmaking and creating podcasting clearly, but I was getting frustrated with spinning my tires a bit in terms of actually getting good at it. And I was like, I always say I'm going to be a filmmaker. A couple of years ago, I was frustrated with not actually pushing myself to do it. So I got in the van, I told my wife and kids, I said, I'll be back in 48 hours. And I drove to New York City. And as soon as I got to New York City, I hopped on Instagram and started messaging different people to say like, look, I'm a filmmaker. Can I get together with you and interview you about your process? And in about 30 hours, I didn't go to bed because I didn't have anywhere to stay, which bunking could have helped. I got together with a makeup artist who has Netflix movies, a filmmaker from Hawaii who's super successful, but was living in New York City at the time, a hip hop musician who sings on on, uh, the street, and then another uh, musician who sings down at World Trade Center on his lunch break every day. And within a day, went out and made mini documentaries with four or five people. So concepts like that, going to conferences like NFT NYC is coming up in a couple of weeks and everyone's talking about where am I going to stay? And nobody else knows NFTs. That's the joke. So nobody's going to know what the hell I'm talking about. Things like that I see being awesome solutions with with something like bunking. Yeah, we're I mean there's we can't find anybody else that does it. So it's uh there's kind of this white space 
And uh, yeah, we're super excited. I mean, the, the used cases and just think about loneliness, right? The UK just appointed a minister of loneliness. Japan has one. Germany has one. Just helping to solve that problem, helping to solve like the homelessness crisis, right? Where people just can't afford to live. And, you know, I think we can connect people that want company with people that can't afford rent. Or maybe somebody who's a great handyman who wants needs a, needs a break on rent. Like there's just a lot of opportunities. Golden girls, a bunch of older ladies that want to live together or whatever. Yeah, so it's it's literally for shared living or travel. So we're just, we're trying to connect like-minded people. And homelessness was one of the most interesting ones to me when we first started talking about it, because I know a lot of people who struggle finding homes and they're maybe in that mid-tier level where it's just the fact that society makes it hard to buy a house or pay rent in many cities right now. So that's huge. In terms of ownership over these residences, though, I know it's a marketplace of follow that part. Is the intention to own some of these properties, the majority of these properties, very few of the properties, or where is that? We'll own very few. Like if you, I mean, it's going to be a huge marketplace. We're starting a, it's called uh, Bunking Ventures. So what we're doing with Bunking Ventures is we're buying real estate with partners in destination locations. Think Costa Rica, think Greece, buying these places, then converting them to shared living. So renting them out by the room because now we have the tech to do it. You know, because we're building this community of like-minded people, basically different interest groups, we think we can bring more value to when we buy the real estate. Because if you look at a lot of these areas like Greece and Costa Rica, like they've got three or four months out of the year where they have a hard time filling the rooms or the places because the weather isn't as good. Because we deal in about 110 different interest groups, we think we can fill it up because of interest, not just because of weather. Instead of, you know, our place being fully occupied eight months of the year, maybe we can be fully occupied 12 months of the year. So first off, you're converting it to shared living, boom, you get a revenue boost. And then if you look on an annualized basis, it's even better because occupancy rate is way higher. Part of that is to be able to use the real estate to remortgage these properties, use the money we remortgage, half would go back to our partners, but half would come back to actually fund our tech company. So instead of having to look for external money, we can almost have one part of the business create the money to feed that part of the business, if that makes sense. Yeah, it builds it very machine-like, for lack of a better term. Yeah, I love it. And in whatever way, small tweeting something or doing another piece of content or just liking posts and making comments, I will support it as much as possible. Someday I'll certainly create a, a bunk. What's it called if you create a pod? You said pod, right? Well, yeah. So a bunking pod is something people would commit to. What I didn't talk about is you can also create a wish pod. Example would be, I've always thought it'd be really cool to live in an igloo for a couple of weeks. Uh, my wife does not share that enthusiasm. So I could create a wish pod, say, here's kind of what I want to do. It's going to be probably in Alaska. I'd like to do it in January or February. I'm looking for four to six people. It's going to cost us eight to $1,200. So just kind of highlighting all that. And then anybody who's interested could say they're interested. So when I see enough interest, then I can convert it to a bunking pod. So I'm not really taking any risk. Like I don't have to commit to renting out that igloo or something. That makes sense. I think that's a good tier or kind of part in the process that will really help. Yeah. I mean, I could ask questions about entrepreneurship and business all day, but, you know, maybe we'll uh, be able to talk again some other time in the interest of wrapping things up. I just want to ask a couple themed questions that I asked everybody. But before I do, is there anything that we might have left out or some last thought that you'd like to mention before we wrap? 
maybe just, you know, entrepreneurship is definitely not easy. It's not for everybody. I think a lot of people that get into it give up way too soon. Like, I, you know, I think in any case, there's always, like to me, I, there's always a way. Like, there's all, like it may not be the way you originally intended, but if you're going to start a company and you're really, you're really kind of committed to making it work, or maybe you really need to make it work, I can tell you, like, there's always a way. You can always find a way to make it work. I appreciate that. It's a great final thought. So these themed questions, just quick, kind of rapid fire. And then it's nice because I can thread them together in the future someday. The first question is one thing you yourself are learning that maybe would surprise people. So maybe off topic from entrepreneurship or something that you want to learn. Like we talked about earlier, I took a mortgage broker course. It's a little bit about entrepreneurship. I did it because I wanted to understand the language. I want to understand the industry. I, I don't intend on being like a mortgage broker just because I've got. I, I just don't have time to do it. But I will do a couple of deals again just to, to be able to learn. And if you left one piece of advice for the next generation, any advice, what would it be? There's always a way. <laughs> There's always a way. Perfect. If you were to ask me one question, we flip the mic the other way. What would be a question you would ask me? Where did your passion in terms of helping youth, where does that come from? For me, a big part of it is my own mental health struggles bordering on do you go to addiction or self-harm or different things in terms of coping strategies, negative coping strategies, and big time struggles with things like panic disorder, where I just feel fortunate for some reason to have come through it. I don't have a reason why I didn't end my life versus some others do. That part of the world really fascinates me. But one thing I did learn was that when we do things that are um, intrinsically interesting to us in the day, I all all of a sudden would have less panic attacks or I would feel less tired. And I remember my psychologist at the time saying, well, what are those things? Once I would actually talk to him and I listed them and he said, try and do those, you know, 16 hours a day. And that was kind of like his first prescription for me. And that's probably the biggest why of it all, I guess, the foundation, I suppose. But I could speak on that topic for an hour as well. But yeah, that's the, the quick version. Thank you. Of course. And so the final question, the fun one that hopefully brings value to you is if people were to find you, want to support you, support bunking or anything else, where would they go? LinkedIn's the best. So if you're on LinkedIn, Steve Cody, so C-O-D-Y is how you spell my last name. And I spend a, a lot of time on LinkedIn. Yeah, and, and feel free to reach out if I can ever help anybody with anything. Awesome. Well, you're a great role model. I suppose I can call you a mentor and uh, appreciate you taking the time to do this. Thank you. Great job. Much appreciated. Have a good day. Thank you. End scene. <laughs> that was great. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. Dear JKL community, thank you so much for being here. I really hope these are helping you or someone you love. It's hard to get all of these stories to spread, so please do pass them along. Also, if you have a request for anyone that you would like to hear from on the show, just let us know. Thank you to our guest, Steve. Really interested in seeing the businesses he builds now and in the future. It's our goal to have this show help millions of people, so please subscribe, leave reviews, but most importantly, pass it on to someone who could learn from it. If you like content that'll help you learn to own your big dreams, then follow us at JKL to help you get your ambitions really going. Until the next episode, all the best and remember, just keep learning.